it's been a great day. Defeated a bunch of Yomu, got them all praised, and even got groceries. Now it's time to sit back, relax, and... Hold on. A message from the Spirit World Warriors Observation Department. Great. What do they want? To whom may concern, it has come to our attention there have been several violations made known to our department, including previous offenses. These may include, one, foul language and content deemed inappropriate for young children and warriors in training. Two, spoiling classified documents with others, such as Beyond the Boundary and several others. Three, expressing opinions that may or may not affect this organization in its entirety. We request your presence at our next department hearing in order to discuss these offenses further. <sighs> this is really important. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Dub Talk, a group where a bunch of literary students get together and talk about our freaky fetishes. <laughs> That's how we're starting this? Hell yeah, welcome back to the filler episode, you bitches. I read your comments last year about Carnival, so we've dubbed this as a yearly tradition where myself and Lilac get together and talk about whatever the fuck we feel like. <laughs> Woohoo! Welcome, boys and girls. Welcome, boys and girls. Hello, obviously, I am Megan, and I have a fetish for being stepped on by tall blonde women. Not really. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've learned a very dirty secret, and I don't know how to feel it. I'm joking, you know that. I have a boyfriend. I know you do. <laughs> Don't worry, oh Steph, I won't put my hands on your under your armpits. Ah. No, that's supposed to be me. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I'm it's the other way around with us. Anyway, the other way around with us. <laughs> if you haven't guessed by all of our literary club jokes and freaky fetishes, tonight we are obviously talking about Hyoka again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty close <laughs> to, the, to the show. And isn't Hyoka also Kyoani? Oh. Yep, that's right, kids. Tonight we're talking about the Kyoto animation series Beyond the Boundary, the series that came out in 2013. And the story goes as follow as according to the back of my release case DVD. They should have never met. They shouldn't have, They shouldn't even exist. But when they come together, the entire world will change. The last surviving member of her clan, Mirai Kuriyama, is cursed with the terrifying ability to control and manipulate her blood. A power so heretical that she is shunned by even those who need, even those with the abilities to understand her gift. Akihito Kambara is ha only half human, while the other half of but while the other yeah, but while the monstrous other half of his lineage seems to have doomed him to a life alone, it has also given him near invulnerability in the form of rapid healing. Alone, their future seems bleak, but when the chance encounter brings them together, it becomes clear that they share more than just an unexpected bond. Together, they share a destiny that only the two of them combined may be strong enough to survive. Beyond the world that we know, in a realm where nightmares are real and legends walk, the future awaits in Beyond the Boundary. That is an awful fucking synopsis of this show. You wanted to read it. I, I, I didn't think the synopsis you, was that bad. You, you should have looked before we Started. You know what? Go fuck yourself, mom. <laughs> no, in truth, the story is about Akihito Kambara and Mirai Kuriyama living in a town where, like it said, Mirai has cursed blood, 
in Akihito is a Yomu. Yomu are essentially demon monster thingies that get killed by spirit world warriors who essentially the supernatural police who gets to turn them into crystal gems a la Steven Universe and sell them for fucking money. <laughs> Along the way, they also there's also Hiromi and... <laughs> I want to call her by her actress. I can't. Mitsuki? <laughs> Mitsuki. Mitsuki. As well as the other spirit warriors and Yomu in there. And essentially the series becomes essentially the world's greatest love, a love story, oh, as well as being a story about love and acceptance and being with people who can understand you. Uh, so with that out of the way, we've been rambling on for too long. So are you ready to get into direct? Or, oh yeah, right. The two, there's, I think there's two big things that we need to mention. Yes. Uh, first of all, one, we are only covering the 12 episodes of the show and the OVA. We are aware that there's are two films. However, this episode will not be covering those two films. If yep. we do cover them at the later time, it will not be covered by either of us as we have already said our piece on the performances and this dub. The other big thing is, I think Beyond the Boundary was another one of the shows that we wanted similar to Carnival. Yeah. We wanted to do this from the fucking beginning. And we just never got to. Yup. Surprise! I I mean, the filler episode was either going to be this or the Morose Mononokian, but uh, the other girls wanted to cover the Morose Mononokian with us. Well, we kind of promised that we would. So. Yeah, well, okay, correction. We only promised Gigi we would so we could torture her. Because <laughs> I, I forgot who plays one of the characters. That's right, children. Tonight is jokes at Gigi's expense night. <laughs> Gigi, we love you. <laughs> Gigi, we love you. But you're also really into garbage, and we need to talk about we need to talk about your love of a fedora wearing man who calls you bitch Chan. <laughs> God damn it! We're not trying to stage an intervention. I promise. Are you even though it's sounding like it right now? Look here. I know your Hisoka body pillow is in your bed. No, it's not. She doesn't sleep with it. Like I don't sleep with my Kaneki one. Anyway, so let's move on to our director and our writer. <laughs> Before Obviously, we dig bigger hell holes for ourselves. I mean, we can dig your hole pretty deep. Let's not. All I have to do is play sexy back. I'm over it, remember? Oh, that's right. Damn it. I need to find another song to ruin for you. Oh, God. Anyway, speaking of things that aren't ruined for us, the director and writer, obviously, because we have no predictions for this episode and this is a review, we are just going to state who it is. The director for Beyond the Boundary is one Mr. Christopher Ayers, and the writer is one Lainey Hooks. Christopher Ayers has directed other series such as Hana Yamata, Tamako Market, which is also a Kyoto animation show, and Little Busters. Lainey Hooks has written for series such as Love, Chinubio, and Other Delusions, a Kyoto animation show, Sunday Without God, and Watamote, a show that was a little too real for one Mr. Classy Spartan. <laughs> Andrew learned how girls take care of themselves when they don't have boys. Or other girls. Or people that they're in love with. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's start off with you, Steph. What is your impressions on the direction and writing of this show? Um, This is going to be a bold statement, and I was going to save this for the end, but this is a very bold statement for me. This is one of, if not the best dubs that Sentai has ever produced. <laughs> Bar none, like Damn. for real. That that's it says a lot. It's it's 
some people might think I'm wrong, but uh, I'm not. Me, I'm not saying you're wrong either. I actually kind of agree with you. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of time and effort definitely went into this show. Um, if I'm right, this the, was also one of their earlier works. I would I would say fairly early. I remember this not, being one of the things that really kind of put Sensei on my radar because this was one of their big first like bigger premium collections too. Yeah, I think Beyond the Battery was one of their first premium collections. If I'm right, yeah. I think it was either that or not Love Chinobu. Uh I can't remember off the top of my head. I wanna say like one of their other first ones was like uh was it Ajin or Akamika Kill or Could be one of those. I wanna say it was like it was like something No I wanna say the first one was High School of the Dead. Yeah, that's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. Um, but in terms of the directing and writing on this show, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the writing is very straightforward. It sticks, from what I can tell, it sticks very close to the material, uh, but does have its moments of looseness, mostly in the comedic moments. Um, because let's face it, there's a good amount of comedy in this show. I mean, we brought up the uh, warming of the hands under the armpits joke for a reason. Hiromi is cold <laughs> all the time because of his powers. Yes. Hiromi is adorable. <laughs> Hiromi is my favorite. <laughs> Akihito is my favorite. We do plan on cosplaying, uh, like I guess, like fem, fem, feminine versions or like gender bent versions. I mean, I want to, I want to do a gender bent version of Hiromi. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, my um, only thing is I'm gonna have to get a skirt long enough for me. <laughs> I, I need to figure my shit out. But um, yeah, the writing is pretty straightforward. I think it's for the majority of it's rather faithful. Uh, it does have some moments it, when it's where it can be. A little bit more free-flowing and loose uh, but it also doesn't the dialogue itself doesn't come off as stiff to me it flows very naturally with the timing and the pacing of everything uh, and in terms of the directing like I've only had nitpicks in a couple of areas um, one of which is and I actually talked to Megan about this a little earlier today uh, <laughs> There were some moments where the lip flaps didn't match the dialogue to me. Mm -hmm. There were some moments where it kind of slipped up, but that's a minor nitpick. Though, to be fair, I also noticed it in the first five minutes of the entire show, so... To be fair, I hadn't even noticed until she actually said something to me. Yep. And then I kind of picked up on it a couple more times. Um, but, and then there, I think there was really one, maybe two performances that were kind of iffy to me. But at the same time, I grew to love them all the same. Um, I, I absolutely adore the casting of this show. I love the performances. And the big thing I really do want to give Chris Ayers credit for on this is how distinctive all these characters sound. Yes. Particularly with the main four, they do not sound similar in any way, shape, or form. To the point where you could probably put the show on in the background, and if there's a scene with all four of them there, uh, you you can easily tell who is who. There's nothing that's similar. They all have distinct personalities and performances, and to take the time to create those voices for these diff for these varying personalities and these varying emotions that these characters have to go through. I really have to commend Chris for that, as well as the um, voice actors who were involved in this project. So, kudos to everyone on that one, because this is probably 
one of my probably my favorite sentai dub and it's probably to me one of the best i have ever seen them produce like i said this beginning yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pick up on there and i really do want to uh bring up the fact that not only does it feel like the main four sound completely different from each other because there actually are points of this weekend where i had to turn my head away from the screen uh i'm house sitting right now by the way i have two very dumb dogs <laughs> they are sitting on her bed. They're complete. They're actually on my bed behind me right now because there is a thunderstorm, thunderstorm. coming. Thunderstorm. And they're big babies. I mean, Bailey, especially Bailey, is not a bright light. She's also a baby, so she's only a little more than a year old. So I've had to take my eyes off it. I've also had to cook while watching this. Steph is completely right. You can tell Hiromi and Akihito have are completely separate from each other. And the, to me, the bigger thing that you can tell is that Mits, uh, Mitsuki and uh, Mirai, Mirai. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Sorry, my, my brain like shut down for a second. Mirai sounds separate from each other. And that's something I really appreciate. Beyond the Boundary is a show that I've actually, is probably actually one of my favorite Kyoto animation projects. I have I'd say it's probably one of my favorites too, actually. I have a huge love of this and Free particularly. And this is something I want to bring up. Until these two shows themselves came out, I hated Kyoto Animation as a studio. I fucking couldn't stand them. Mm. I literally, I hate, one of the animes I hate the most is K-On! And for a really long time, I thought Kyoto Animation only made K-On! clones. Free, while not, Free was something like I enjoyed because I didn't know it, but I, I like sports anime, and that had a bunch of pretty boys. Beyond the Boundary proved to me that not only one, they could do a darker action fantasy show that still kept a lot of their comedy, it proved to me that they could actually animate men. Yes. <laughs> that weren't Barbie dolls. Yep. Um, I'm not gonna- I could praise- if, if one thing- I know a lot of people have a, a lot of problems with the story of Beyond the Boundary, they're also wrong. Fight me. <laughs> um, nice. The aesthetic of this show is impeccable. Like, the animation and the environments in the show are bar none some of my favorite things Kato Animation did. It's so pretty to look yeah, at. Yeah, like, like, legitimately, I only have the DVDs of the, of the main series. I have the Blu-rays of the movie, and I was blown away. I have the Blu-ray of the series, and even then, I'm just like, holy crap. Yeah, like, like so we're pretty. gonna hear and gush about Kato Animation. And that's the <laughs> thing, too. At the time that this got picked up to be released in English. I was furious that this wasn't a Funimation title. Because uh, this came out while I was actually still in college. And I used to watch this on Crunchyroll. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't graduated college yet. This was one of the things I really watched in college a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is when I actually started using Crunchyroll a lot too, was to watch the show because, hey, Crunchyroll had it and I had it. Um, our, my library had an account and I just basically got to bum their account to watch this. But the big thing is this. So the fact that Sentai did this, and it also be outside of the actress, the actresses for the characters I, Yayoi, and uh, Mitsuki. Yeah, Mitsuki. I had no idea who the rest of this cast was at that time. Mm. I didn't know. Who, I didn't. I hadn't watched any Sentai dubs, like at this point. Obviously, now it's been five years since the original show came out, and I can agree that this is probably one of my favorite Sentai dogs. I don't have a lot of problems with it. 
the script is very, very, to me, felt very faithful to the spirit of the original Japanese. There wasn't anything that really stood out. There was the term, this is why you get flamed, used a lot about uh, Mirai's <laughs> blog. But to me, that yep. actually felt funny because those scenes were supposed to be funny. Um, Mirai's catchphrase of how unpleasant got translated really well. And that's something mm -hmm. that uh, I know when Funimation did Hyoka for um, Chitanda's I'm Curious, that they had to really keep in a way that fit the mouth movements, but also stuck to what this character is saying. And I really do appreciate Chris Ayers' work as the director on this by mixing some veterans not in the... There's only one, like, big super veteran, I would say, in the main cast. At least the at the this, time that this was, was produced, recorded, yeah. obviously. Um, but a lot of the other cast uses people also be that I've watched in other shows that I may not have enjoyed their performances. Mm -hmm. But I love them in this show. And Lainey's writing came off very, really great. Her write, uh, I want to say this, this is a woman. I like I looked them up and I can't really tell. I'm going to assume Lainey is a woman. If I'm wrong, you can fix me in the comments. The writing for the emotional scenes in this show are fucking impeccable. And for a show that ha at its core speaks about loneliness, uh, isolation, and overcoming that, mm -hmm. that is something very hard to get across that comes off very genuine. And I think as a writer and directing team, they really nailed that in a way that I haven't seen a lot of Sentai shows do otherwise. Mm -hmm. I would still probably say that in terms of the best Sentai dubs, Nozaki's up there. Yeah, Nozaki for me is definitely up there, yeah, too. Yeah, like, Nozaki's up there. Um, what else would you even throw up in, like, Sentai? Haikyuu's up there. Haikyuu, yep. I would throw Haikyuu. Uh, Umaru-chan. I cannot attest to Umaru-chan's yeah, I would say at least Umaru's performance can be thrown out. Because I've seen at least, like, clips of Umaru-chan. Um, Umaru-chan, at least for Emily Neves as Umaru. Um, Probably... I, I, I mean, can't... I know for me, my love story was a really good one that's up there. Yeah, well, I, I'm a little, I'm not as sold on my love story. I don't, and I think that's just my general, probably, enjoyment of the show. Because I didn't find my love story to be as mind blowing as a lot of people did. Oh, I don't find it mind blowing, but I found it very, very cute and entertaining. Yeah. So um, it's not among my, like, my, it's not like my, it's like the absolute best, but it is. Yeah. Dub. Uh, um, I, I mean, I know for me. Hamatora is a good one, though it's probably not. I know it's favorite. not. I know it's not up there. <laughs> There's a couple Starts things with, that are probably not up there. Starts with a D, ends with a grammatical murder. Um, but yeah, no, like this is kind of like one of the big ones that really, really stands out to me. That was like super good, and um, obviously Chris Ayers is still not back 100% yet, and I hope he is soon. Yes, because. When Chris Ayers is on his A-game as a director, he is on his A-game, and this yeah. is just proof of that. Yeah, because, I mean, we since we brought up Dramatical Murder, he did direct that. So. And I still hate that dub to this fucking day. Yeah, so it's kind of a testament to show that, I mean, honestly, it could be just the problem with the show itself. and not Yeah, like, obviously, Dramatical Murder is an awful, god-awful show, and I, from what I've understood, like, a lot of them just didn't like working on it. Um... 
But yeah, like you can you can tell that there was a lot of enjoyment put in with this show that um, Chris really enjoyed directing this one, and he this is one of the ones where he definitely brought his A game for sure. I know we haven't I know we haven't talked about it, but I think Jet can I think Jet has said it that um one of Sentai's other like best dubs that a lot of people say is from the New World. Mm, I've seen parts of it. Yep, I haven't watched any of it, and it's on my shelf. We need to fix that. We, I, also, I have a plan, I have I also a plan need for to this later on. I also need to finish it because I actually... It's weird. I've, tr I've tried watching it three different times and I've never been able to finish it. Why, I don't know. It's really it, hard to watch, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike this show. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. I think that's the problem. Unlike this show. Uh, but are we good to move on to our first group of characters, you think? A absolutely. Yeah, we've been here for a little while. Anyway, so we're going to start with our first kind of group of characters, which I've just dubbed the Spirit World Warriors. Um, these are kind of a, a supporting cast that isn't around as frequently as our next group of supporting characters, but they still have a large impact on the show. And they, I'm sorry, I love how you labeled two of them. <laughs> clearly not evil and totally not evil. Also not evil. <laughs> In all caps. In all caps. And then I have the I have this lady as like fire lady, but her power is more earth. And then the mom was the second one. So there is Shizuku Ninomiya, who is a teacher at the school of our characters, as well as a spirit world warrior. Yayoi Kambra, who is Akihito's mother, who is a spirit warrior, very eccentric and cosplays way too much. Yep. <laughs> there is Izumi Nase, the older si the older sister of Hiromi and Mitsuki Nase, who has a little more hidden underneath herself. And then there is Miruku Fujima, a man who is from the Spirit World Warrior Association, who is clearly not evil and experimenting on anything at all, and is totally 100% a good person. I mean, That's a fucking lie. I mean, the same could be said about Izumi to an extent. Yes. <laughs> unless, you're in, unless you're me and watch the movie and know what's really going on between the two of them. I need to watch the movie. You should watch the movie. Mira, uh, not, yeah, yeah, I want to call it by the Japanese name. Uh, Future is the one that you're going to watch. Because uh, the first one, past, is basically a retelling of the show. If yeah. you've watched the entire show and you want to watch the movies, uh, I know we usually say this at the end, but you can actually watch both movies on High Dive. And the OVA that's, that has not been released yes. at all. I think the OVA was only on the collector's edition. Oh, that's probably it. Yeah, I think that. And the I think the collector's edition is out of print at this stage. I yes, think, right? is completely out of print at this stage. Yeah, so, so you can watch on High Dive. Yes, <laughs> but you can watch the OVA on High Dive, and the OVA is actually really, really good, especially it if is. you want to, especially if you're a fan of Hiromi. Uh, so <laughs> which it, yes. Which, of course, made it Stephanie's favorite episode. Um, <laughs> Shizuku Me? is... Yeah. Uh, Ninomiya is played by Amelia Fisher. Yayoi Kambara is played by Lucy Christian. Izumi Nase is played by Carly Mosier. And Maroku Fujima is played by Houston Hayes. Amelia Fisher is characters such as Kinoru Nishi in Girls und Panzer der Film, Jibril in No Game No Life, and Kitsuno in Nobunaga the Fool. Lucy Christian is a veteran to voice acting. A lot of people would know her, but if you don't, she's also Vivi uh, Holopin in Co uh, Chika Coffin Princess, Chihaya Ayase in Chihaya Faru, and Minori in Log Horizon. Carly Mosier is characters such as Suzuka in Kamiga Kill. She is Seiko Tanaka in Haikyuu Season 2, Best Older Sister. 
By the way, she gets to play Greg Cote's older sister in Haikyuu. I'm excited now. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I love Seiko Tanaka. And she's also Jime uh, in Ushio uh, and Tora. Houston Hayes is characters such as Sakamoto in Haven't You Heard I'm Sakamoto, Tadashi Yagi in Tamako Market, and Shun Ibusaki in Food Wars. So, how do you feel about these characters? Also, I keep having to adjust my microphone thing because it keeps auto-leveling me. And it's pissing me off. <laughs> I've, at this point, I've learned just to fucking deal with it. Because <laughs> I've done that several times and then my audio just gets really weird. So, you're uh, just gonna- you can just fix me in post. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um, I'm gonna start with Amelia because I actually never heard of Amelia Fisher before. Hmm? Uh, and I also don't have a lot of notes about Nino Mia. <laughs> Honestly, um, I don't, I don't know what to think of it because this character is really just kind of in the background, and. Compared to some of the other performances, it didn't really stand out to me. The voice was rather distinctive, though, of course. Much along the lines of every single one of these performances. It's very distinct. Um, and I did enjoy it a lot. Uh, it's just compared to some of the other performances, it's uh, it's one of those situations where the character kind of falls into the background because of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lucy Christian is such an eccentric mother, it's not even funny. Um, cause there's really only three times where we get to interact with her in the entire show. Two of which are through a, like, a spirit holographic postcard that she sends to Hakuhito. And they are some of the funniest moments in the show because he just keeps on turning them back over. Cause she's such an embarrassing mother. Um, and then the last interaction we have, and we have for a longer period of time, is towards the end. Um, where she's talking to Akihito and the others about, um, Mirai, and she also tries to hold back Izumi. Um, and she's, she is a very, very eccentric character, and Lucy plays it fantastically, but during the last couple episodes of the show, where she does have to have some amount of seriousness, not too, too serious, because she still kind of has a playful persona about her, and like this cunning trickster kind of situation because she she knows a lot more than what she's letting on what she's telling everyone so she keeps all of her cards close to her chest and i think lucy plays those facets very well um carly mosier is izumi the nase siblings are very interesting to me um and i pick this up while listening to all three of them uh in the case of in, yeah. The best way I can describe it is you can tell the difference between who's really, like, personality-wise. It's one of those things where you can listen to it and not look at the screen and you know who's the naive one out of the three. Who is the most mature, who's mature out of the three. Who is... Which one's hiding something. Exactly. And that's what Carly has to do. She hides a lot of secrets from everyone, including her siblings. And I think she portrays that very well. She's very mature sounding. She, she's mature. She knows what she's getting herself into. She's willing to risk everything to make sure, one, everybody's safe, including her siblings. But more importantly, two, I, more importantly, I feel anyway, two, um, her family is able to live on. That nothing bad is going to come after her family and her family's going to be like dismantled or something. 
Because that seems to be a free... Or someone's like a, going to overtake their political power. Exactly. That's like a like a subplot line that came up a couple times during the show. It's also a big thing in the movie. <laughs> Good to know. I'm finally going to get that answered. Um, so, given everything that goes on, I think Carly portrays all of these various sides of Izumi very well. The maturity, the experience and knowledge she has, and the... And, the cunning sides of wanting to protect the political power of the Nase family. Um, and then Houston Hayes. Here's the funny story about Houston Hayes. So I realized, I had realized um, when I said during the Diabolical Lovers 2 episode that I had never heard of Houston Hayes before, I'm an idiot that because I, I watched Beyond the Boundary before I saw Diabolical Lovers 2. And now that I can put this man's name attached to Fujima, I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you're not stupid, you're just Steph. <laughs> but, um, Houston is very interesting of a character. Um, and part of, but there is a slight problem with the character itself, it's not with Houston. The problem with Fujima as a character Unfortunately, he's, it's kind of very, very obvious that he's the villain of the show. The main oh, yeah, there villain is of the no show. hiding it. There's no hiding it. Uh, not even in the OVA either. Uh, which, the OVA takes place, I believe, what, three years before present day or something? Yeah, it's, I think, yeah, I think it's like when he's, a, like, in middle school. They're also in, like, I think Haromi may be, may be a high schooler because he's a year older than, um... Akihito yeah. and uh, Mutsuki, and he's two years older than Mirai. Yeah, because Mirai is a first year. He, uh, Akihito and Mitsuki are second, second and then Hiromi is a third. Yeah, and then in the movie, I think it takes place like a year after, so Hiromi is graduated. So the main problem with Fujima as a character is it's so obvious that he's evil. Like, the show does nothing to hide it. So, unfortunately, that Yeah, because the show of... was actually hiding the other twist that is Izumi. Right, exactly. So yeah, the show, unfortunately the show does nothing to hide the fact that Fujima is a villain of the show. So it does have some, a little bit of a detriment plot-wise and care and performance-wise for Houston because of that. However, he still does really well because if, if, if a character like this was very, very obvious, you could take it and make it as a slimy human being and go into the route and go into the route of despicable slimy human being it didn't get that far which i can fully appreciate that he that he went more of a route that was cunning and devious but not a slimy irreprehensible human being oh and another i know another note i actually have too is um and this is probably gonna come up a few different times but there are a lot of interesting dynamics in this show as well. Uh, in this case, Carly Mosier and Houston Hayes have a very interesting dynamic. Um, it's very shrouded in mystery, and if I'm right, the movie does kind of reveal that more, right? Yeah, the movie does go over what he did to that, what, like what's going on with them. Okay. And it is a little bit creepy. Oh, God. Like... I don't no, want to spoil what it is, but it, it gets a little... It, it, it's like something like, okay, this is kind of like... I don't know. <laughs> Great. And I was thinking if I had time tonight, I'll watch it after we're done recording. Shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
there are a lot of really interesting and diverse dynamics and definitely one of the standout ones in terms of dynamics is between Carly and Houston um, because you can tell there's a past there uh, of, and one that's very very conflicting so I love the dynamic between the two of them and I do like Houston's performance as Fujima because it doesn't go to the extent of super super slimy creeper not until it needs to. Not in, not unless it needs to. To which, at the end, it, it it didn't get that far still, but it got close, and I still loved every second of it. <laughs> um, Wait for the movie. Oh god! <laughs> Shit! But, Just do um, that after you record this tonight. I'm gonna have to if we have time, because I also have to work tomorrow. But uh, yeah, like all Sleep of these performances, performed the, all these performances, I really enjoyed. I think the only. The only one I don't have a lot to say for is Amelia, because I'm one I'm not too familiar with her character, uh, with her. Um, but two, Ninomiya wasn't. Ninomiya doesn't get to do a lot. Ninomiya is there to be sad and single. <laughs> she gets to be there like I'm sad and single. Whoops. I like that she like keeps uh, throwing things at this one kid in class who like keeps reminding her she's single. Yes, that's the greatest. But anyway, yeah, I'm good. Uh, so yeah, let me jump up here. Uh, I, I'm, I'll agree with Amelia Fisher, though I did really enjoy her uh, getting to be kind of snarky under her breath sometimes. It was good. Which is something that's really hard to pull off. Uh, oh, Lucy Christian is... Uh, she sounds a lot more mature than I'm normally used to hearing Lucy Christian be. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to balance sometimes when she's sitting there being a, a weird dumbass. <laughs> Like, she's doing cat puns and, like, hamster puns at one point. Yep. And then there's, like, one part where she's trying to do Shakespeare, and it's just very, very strange. And Shakespeare in, like, a devil demon in, like, costume, In, like, a sucky costume. Yep. Which, I still, uh, like, they never address how the fuck she made, she had a child. Yep. Like, we know that his dad is the Yomu, but, like, is this a situation, like, question, do you watch Voltron Legendary Defender? No. Do you care about spoilers? I don't care. Okay, cool. So if you've never watched Voltron Legendary Defender, the character Keith's mom is essentially like the kind of giant alien, like evil race that they're taking on. And we didn't know about that until like earlier this year. And there were just so many, like my favorite, I think like my favorite post on Tumblr was Keith's dad meets alien life form for first time. Fucks it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like uh, so I actually so I'd finished the movie and bless that bless their hearts uh, my friends who I go to Metrocon with Emily, Doug, and uh, Haku so I said um, I said uh, so they never did explain where, where the fuck Akihito comes from my friend Doug without missing a beat his mom lived the dream and fucked a monster <laughs> Oh god. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> That's and the best that, part. And knowing that Yomu turned into rocks, his her his dad was probably rock hard. Um but no. Damn it. That that's the highlight reel clip right there. There we go. No. Uh assuming that we don't get freaky when we talk about Hiromi. Um <laughs> But no, Lucy Christian was was great as this mom, especially uh, in terms of the other adult characters. Especially compared to like Ayaka and Izumi. She has so much life in her. Yes. 
Um, by far, this is one of my favorite Carly Mosier performances, though. It's Izumi Nase. Because I, I enjoy Carly Mosier as an actress, like, but she's really hit and miss to me. Like, there are times where I really enjoy her, and then there are times where I'm like, eh, I'm not really feeling this. Izumi is a character I 100% believe that Carly Mosier was, like, born to play. Mm-hmm. She gets this character so well, and even- this character runs a lot of gambits of emotions, like, being, like, this head of this very political power, uh, being manipulative. Yep. Um, like, in a lot of the flashbacks between Mirai and Izumi, where she's, like, getting Mirai to try to kill, um... Aki? Aki. Aki. And then, for me, the speech where they're in the park, her and Akihita are in the park after uh, yeah. Mirai has after Mirai has uh, basically absorbed beyond the boundary into herself out of Akihito's body. And then Aki wakes up after, like, what? Like a two, three-month coma or something? I think it was like a six... I think it was like a three-month coma? I think it was three. I know the events of the series take place, like, within six months. Yeah. Because um, she shows up in the summer and it kind of ends in winter. Um... Yeah, and he wakes up in the fall, so yeah, it is. Because yeah. I remember um, in his dream, it's summer, but in Beyond the Boundary, it's winter. And it's implied right. that Mirai has been fighting the, the Beyond the Boundary the whole time by herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that speech in the park where she's talking about, um, I did this to protect uh, all of this world. And it's like her job to do it. And then... The speech is a lot between, like, her and Hiromi and how she bounces off of Hiromi's actor. Mm-hmm. And especially how she bounces off of Houston Hayes, who, yeah, this character is evil from, like, 20 miles away, but you actually don't really fucking care mm-hmm. that the character is really telegraphed because him telegraphing hides Izumi, which is more of a big deal to me. Right. Because you know that this guy is up to no fucking good by the way he acts. And, like, he's like, oh, I'm here to uh, investigate the Hollow Shadow. And you're more distracted by him being evil so that you don't get to pick up on Izumi unless you're paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. To which um, another scene that really stands out to me is uh, one of the first conversations between her and Houston Hayes is there's this thing on her wall. And he's like, oh, that's a frozen barrier. That's really cool. And he's playing up like he's never met her before. Oh, yeah. But it's clear that the way he's acting, he's hiding something. And then you find out, obviously, they had met before. And that um, it's kind of revealed at the end that both he and her have uh, Yomu inside them. Mm -hmm. And yes, you do find out how in the movie. Um, But... The scene later on when the calm, they start talking about the calm for the first time. Mm-hmm. And she's alone with this random woman. And it is so... Oh, yeah. And this is the thing, because I've watched uh, Taboo Tattoo with Carly Mosier where she has to try to be sensual and that show has no sensuality to it at all. Carly Mosier's Izumi is so good that that scene had sexual tension yeah that was palpable between two women i felt that too yep and then it turns into utter fucking horror because she has sealed a live human being in a cage 
And you don't know why she tries it until later on. Mm-hmm. And then you see Akihito getting fucked up by it. And Houston Hayes plays off this so well because he gets to be over a little bit more over the top. Mm-hmm. And he also gets to play stupid. Because you're not supposed to... You, like, you obviously know that Fuji, uh, Fujima is fucking evil. But he has to, like, basically play off that he's a nice guy and he has the best intentions for everybody and stuff. And then you kind of slowly see him succumb to madness and do all these awful things. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. Like I said, um... I, I, I don't want... I, Houston Hayes is not somebody I unfortunately get to hear a lot of. I've actually heard out of all of this group, uh, Lucy and Carly mostly. Because uh, Lucy and Carly work with Funimation and if you've watched our channel... Un- Due to the way things are, we kind of get to do a lot more Funimation stuff. Uh, so we're a little bit more used to hearing people who get to do a lot of stuff with them. Obviously that has changed because we've done a lot more Sentai stuff in the last year. Yep. Uh, but with this direction, uh, with the direction that was put especially on uh, Carly and... I'm sorry, for uh, Houston and Amelia... As well as Carly and Lucy, it really brought out a lot of really awesome performances... Uh, in particular, for me, uh, probably the best I've heard Carly Mosier at uh, in my time on Dub Talk. Have you seen New Game? <sighs> no, I have not seen New Game. Okay, then you need to fix that problem. Because <laughs> I'm going to admit, I'm going to really admit, I love Carly in that show, too. I will, um, okay, you know obviously, what? I obviously, will... it's a more comedic performance compared to Izumi, but it's still a lot of fun. I will watch New Game on one condition. Why do I feel like I have to watch something in return? Oh no, you don't have to watch something in return. Oh okay. no, there's somebody who's among us who's a bigger New Game fan than all of us. Okay. I will watch New Game on the condition that Andrew watches all of Dramatical Murder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm gonna text him right now. Oh no, oh no, I want you to leave it for this episode. <laughs> anyway, are you ready to move on? Yeah. Alright, so next group is group two, who I have as the shop support, which basically more or less these are just the other supporting characters outside of our main four, who appear far more often and get a little bit more screen time. (laughs) They are Ayaka Shindo, who runs a Yomu appraising shop and photo gallery that takes modeling photos for people's fetishes. And she's also a Yomu herself. She's also a giant Yomu fox who's badass as fuck. Yep. <laughs> there is I Shino, who is a Yomu girl who turns into an adorable little two-tailed cat, uh, who is also a first year along with Mirai, as well as our other shop support slash supporting character, Sakura Inami, who is actually an anime-only exclusive character, who is Ooh. the sister of Yui, uh, Yui Inami, the cl- uh, the girl who was to essentially head the clan that took Mirai in after Mirai's family died, since Mirai's family was hunted to extinction for their cursed blood. However, due to the hollow shadow, Yui was possessed and Mirai killed her to essentially save her. However, Sakura held a deep grudge over this and was actually tricked by Fujima into using a weapon that got more and more powerful 
based on the Yomu stones fed to it. However, they eventually got over it and Sakura moved in with Mirai and kind of became like her, his, her essentially her BS, BFF from her past. Ayaka Shindo is played by Molly Circe. Ai Shino is played by Brittany Karbalski. And Sakura Inami is played by Caitlin French. Molly Circe, you'll know as Centurea. Uh, I swear to God, this is her name. Centurea Shianus, or she, or she anus, if because I'm a child, in Monster Musume, Akame and Akame Ga Kill, in Michiko Oki, and Tamako Market. Brittany Korbowski plays characters such as Orine Ida in AKB0048, Maxi Akizuki in A Dog and Scissors, and Kanon Nagagawa from the World Only God Knows franchise. Caitlin French, you will know as Naru Seika in Hana Yamata, Shiro in No Game, No Life, and Mei Tachibana in Say I Love You. I think this is the first time we're actually really talking about Kate. Uh, yep, because we've never talked about Caitlin No French. Game, No Life. Caitlin French. I was about to say, why did I say Caitlin Glass? We also got Fuck, to meet I'm her my at- mixed up. By the way, we also got to meet her in Anime Boston. She is awesome as hell and loves horror stuff. Yeah. Yeah, me and her. Oh lord. If if I was in Houston, I feel like I feel like we would bond over horror so much. It'd be great. <laughs> um I'm guessing you want me to go first with my thoughts, right? Uh yeah, we I mean you have the last two people. May as well, right? Uh I'm gonna start with Brittany. Cause Brittany is so cute in Moe that it hurts. <laughs> and hurts in a good way. Like, there a good amount of these characters in the show are more not somber's not the right word. Probably more mature and take more of a s- serious tone. Uh, though some of the characters also are more comedic than anything. I is not really either of those. She's to me, she's this breath of fresh air to the show mm-hmm. that, that it needs on occasion um, because she's just an innocent she's an innocent girl she's an innocent girl who's exploring the world at, who as a as a yomu disguised as a human and she's just living her life like any other human would and she's she's probably the closest to being a human being out of any of these characters and that says a lot because she is a yomu and she just has this bright energy that's very refreshing in a show like this, even with the comedy aspects, because these character, a lot of these, again, these majority of these characters are just more serious half the time. But I has an innocence and this high fun energy about her that make that kind of breaks up monotony for the show, and Brittany plays that fantastically. Um, Molly Cersei as Ayaka. Because the last the last time we talked about Molly was um, Centurea, I think, right? Uh, yes. As much as you hate it. Um, Fucking hated it. Another show I really need to tr- I need to see at some point um, where she took on more of a leading character is uh, I believe she was in Amagi Brilliant Park. And from the clips I've seen of her character there, that character is more is more of she's actually if i had to make a comparison her character in amagi brilliant park is similar to sakura inami caitlin's character um much more not monotone but um kind of kind of deadpan in a sense but here as ayaka molly has a very 
calm presence about her. Very calm advisory kind of presence to her. Um, which is... Because when we talk about Hiromi, Hiromi also has, to me, a very calm, immature presence. Um, but the difference is Ayaka is more of that... Has more of a consistent calm presence. Because Hiromi is a bit of a stupid pervert with a sister complex. But um, <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. But that's how, basically, that's how I can distinguish the two, is that Ayaka is more of an advisory kind of role in a very calming manner um, compared to Hiromi, and Molly plays that very well. Sakura's an interesting one. Uh, Sakura took a little bit to get to for me to get into, I'm not gonna lie. And I think the reason why it took me a little bit to get into was because I couldn't quite understand the direction that Caitlyn was going with the performance because there were times where it seemed like it was monotone to me but it also was times where at least early on when we see Sakura where it almost sounds like she's in some kind of trance if that makes sense mm -hmm. and it's very interesting because if the latter was what they were trying to go with to an extent actually in its own way, kind of works with the confines of the story, considering Sakura's motivations and intentions to um, try and kill Minaya for the sake of revenge. Um, but it took a little bit for me to try and understand the direction the performance was going in for Caitlyn. And it was, well, it did, while it did take some time, like eventually once we got the resolution between of the conflict between Sakura and Minaya, um, I enjoyed the I I finally got the performance. I finally got what was they were intending and I just enjoyed it a lot more there. But it's just the initial start that kind of took me back took me back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um otherwise Caitlin is she's if anyone is deadpan in the show, it's her. And And it kind of calls for it. <laughs> it very much calls for it because her character has very deadpan humor and she just kind of just screws with people sometimes. It's great. I'm sorry I couldn't take it anymore. Where she she kicks Akihito's mom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore. And, and then she's like, just like, she's like, can I kick her? Yeah. And they're like, no, that's the reaction she wants. Yeah. Like, even though it was rough for me to be at the start trying to figure out what the intention was with Caitlyn's performance and the direction for the character, I got it after that resolution of conflict. And, um, if anything, she is the most deadpan out of any character in this group, and it actually—I actually got into it very a lot. Um, I'm gonna—I—I I, I keep saying this, and I said this a few times when we've talked about Scott Gibbs. I need to watch No Game, No Life for the sake of one, the fact that I own the damn thing, and two, just so I can get a handle on her vocal range. Because again, this is the first time we're talking about Caitlyn on the on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I think on this on the podcast, like this is actually the first time. Yeah, this is actually the first time, and I'm like, okay, I need to, like, get a better handle on Caitlyn's range. <laughs> like, understand, because I feel like I feel like I need to, it's just something I need to do personally. So the other day, I just took my No Game No Life set, put it by my TV, and I'm like, okay, the next time I have a free moment, I'm not marathoning a bunch of crap, I'm watching this show. <laughs> so, but yeah, the all three of these performances, despite at least... One of them taking a little bit of time for me to understand the direction that they were going with it. Um, I love them all. I really do. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start with Caitlyn as Sakura because um, she, I had a little bit of problems, uh, like little kind of tiny problems, which is 
Uh, sometimes I felt the deadpanness was a little itty bitty bit forced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea that she's in a trance or being controlled really made sense because she kind of was, I think, like entranced by the hollow shadow at one point. Right. Uh, but when she gets to be like a little bit more emotional, it really brings Sakura to life to me. Uh, like when she drop kicks Akihito in the back at one point. Oh, after like, after he wakes up. Yeah, just like don't show me such a sad back, and then like just whenever she gets to like kind of give Mirai, Mirai the shakedown about being a little bitch, um, <laughs> she she really sells it from she's really cute. Um, which I I I was surprised because I like I said I'm also not super familiar with Caitlyn French. Unfortunately, she's in a lot of shows that I won't watch. Like. I, I'm not gonna ever watch No Game No Life. That is not something I feel comfortable watching. I mean, um, I'm I'm only gonna watch it to satisfy my own curiosity about how Caitlin and Scott sound. That's it. Yeah, I might watch uh, Hana Yamata because that looks like a show that's actually like kind of my speed and adorable. Um, Brittany Karbowski's eye is awesome because I like Brittany Karbowski getting to play kind of this adorable little moe girl who isn't 100% sexed up. Oh god, I forgot about Looking that. right at you, fucking monster musume. <laughs> oh, poppy, no poppy, no. No pappy, no. No pappy, no. This is a no pappy, no suzo. Get your shit out of here, you freaks. <laughs> but um, obviously there's the, the... Okay, let's just go with this. Episode 6 of Beyond the Boundary is the worst episode of the show. I don't know about it. I mean, plot-wise, yes. Yes. But comedic-wise, I love Comedic-wise, it. it's hilarious. It's great. There are times where, like, they try to get Mirai to be, like, super sexy, and it's weird. And... Though it's really cute when they do the idol performance, and she's, that like, the secret weapon. And then at the very end, so which one of us is gonna kill it? Uh, uh Shit. And then fuck. they just get stinked up again. Yeah. I just like I just genuinely enjoy and I also like Brittany's performance in that where she's talking about like all the things they've overcome as a group and you see this montage of them doing like the traditional like stupid high school anime shit and, Yeah, it's great. <laughs> like uh, like plot wise, that episode's the worst because it has nothing to do with the main plot. But comedic wise it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, also one of my other like com- favorite comedic bait and switch is um when I is talking to Marai about the photo she can take, she's like, also, if you oh my want, God. You, can do, you can do nude shots. Don't worry, Ayaka keeps them in her personal collections. These are mine, and the first thing you pull out is a picture of her and her yomu form with a ball because she turns into a cat. It's the best. But then the other one, which we don't actually see, we is clearly see, a lie. I, I, it's like clearly her like human form, and she's really adorable and she's really endearing and I agree with her being the brush of froth there fresh blah 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 lip flaps lip flaps lip flaps (laughs) Um, talking is hard guys talking is hard children though I will say this out of all of the secondary characters in this show outside of Izumi my other favorite performance in this show for the, the secondary cast is Ayaka Shindo and Molly Searsay completely flipped my opinion of her as an actress. I don't know what the fuck it was in Monster Musume. Or the direction that was given to her for Monster Musume. Well, Monster Musume is a piece of shit, so there's the first problem. Yeah, well, there was also, there's a lot of really shitty things in that show with good performances. I mean, as much as I fucking hated it, Brittany Karbowski was good as Poppy, and Jade Saxton and Tio. Whoever the fuck played Tio, you thought it was me, but 
You thought it was somebody else, but it was I, Tio, stealing a dolphin. <laughs> oh god, I gotta I gotta look that up now. I gotta that remember who it is. That show peaked when she tried to steal a fucking dolphin. <laughs> Keep going, Don't I'll try and pull that up real quick. Time time for everybody in the comment to talk about why would you even talk about Monster Musume? You hate it, you're just sexist to men. Um that was an actual comment. Wow. Side note, it's just an overall offensive piece of garbage. Yeah, no. Real talk, guys. Girls are not objects. Anyway, back to the thing. Molly Cersei as I Ayaka. Because Ayaka was actually one of my other favorite characters in the show. And outside of being gender-bent Akihito, if I could cosplay anybody in the show, it would be Ayaka. And Ayaka get these kind of deadpan comedic moments that I also very much enjoy. And they always involve uh, the mom's postcards. <laughs> where it's like, don't talk about your mom like that, Akito. She's so essential. If there was a, I think one of my favorite lines of the show is, if there was an award for being the most avant-garde, your mother would win it. Yes. <laughs> and she is just... There is just, like, also this beauty to, to the way that she holds herself as this character. Like, there is an unspoken confidence in her voice. There is no wavering in what Ayaka says. And that really comes through in Molly's performance. Like, when when they're sitting on the battlefield the first time Yurai is ever exposed to the Yomu Akihito. Mm -hmm. And she's sitting there with the barriers and explaining things. Her voice never wavers out of feeling scared. She just is very composed and calm. Yep. And she has to be that rock. And the only times you ever see her get threatened, I think, are when she takes on uh, Fujimo when you see her Yomu form for the first time. Right. And there's just something also very warm about it. And I was I, I was just blown away that this was an actress that I did not have. Obviously, I don't mean any disrespect to her, but obviously there are some times when you, you get introduced to an actress and it might be the first time you've ever heard them and they didn't leave a good impression on you. If I had watched this show m closer to when I watched Mon Musu, I would have been even more disappointed in Centurea's performance, because again, just, there's a lot of flaws I find in that performance. But man, I would love to see Molly Searsay play more characters like Ayaka. Mm -hmm. And I was completely blown away by the performance. Huzzah! To answer the question of who plays Tio, Christina Strope. Thank you. Alright, so are we ready to move on to our first of our main four? Yeah. Let's talk about your favorite character in the show. Mitsuki? No, I switched it around actually, my thing, because I was Aww. going to do Mitsuki. I was going to do Mitsuki first. <laughs> Why? Because Hiromi shows up less often than Mitsuki. Damn it. But, but Hiromi has a bigger impact than Mitsuki. <sighs> do you want to do Mitsuki first? Yes. <laughs> Fine. Mitsuki Nase is Yay! the younger sibling of the Nase family. She is also the uh, she's also a member of the literary club. In her passions and joy, shitting on Akihito and her brother's fetishes. Fetishes. She she's the president of the literary club, right? No, uh, her brother is. I think actually. I thought it was mentioned that she was. 
Oh yeah, she is. And then uh I'll say cuz Hiromi just meanders in for no reason. Yeah, Hiro Hiromi just uh he also, just shows. <laughs> also Mitsuki 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 is also a giant troll. Yes. Who at one point breaks all of her brother's idol CDs and replaces his music on his MP3 player with gay salary men porn. <laughs> She's the best troll. <laughs> Mitsuki Nase is played by Monica Rial. Monica Rial. She is Mei Misaki in another. Yai, uh, Yaya Sasami in Hana Yamata. That is also the dumbest name I've read in a while. And she is also Tomoko Kuroki in Watamote. Monica has an interesting care. It has an interesting performance to her, cause it's it's a lot. It's similar to a lot of roles that Monica has portrayed before. However, Mitsuki, basic Mitsuki again, kind of like I was saying with um, Izumi, Mitsuki, Izumi, and Hiromi. These three characters in particular have different levels to them based on their maturity and their age. In terms of Mitsuki, Mitsuki, uh, Monica has, plays Mitsuki as both very down-to-earth and realistic, but she also has a sense of, sense of naivety to her voice um, due to the circumstances. And she's the one sibling out of the Nase siblings that does, that's generally left out. And isn't told about anything. I mean, Hiromi is t isn't told about a, the very, very important stuff, but he at least has an inkling. of He does at least know what he has to know. Mitsuki isn't really told anything, is generally kept out of everything. But she also has a sense of duty and honor to her family, a bit of a sense of pride to an extent. Um, to which that's actually, I think, the biggest, the strongest episode for Monica as Mitsuki um, is episode five during the Lantern Festival. Yes. That's the strongest point for Monica's performance as Mitsuki. Because um, the big thing with that is she has never gone to the Lantern Festival before. Because it's seen as a thing that you go to as a couple. Mm -hmm. And she has always been... She always had the sense, based on her sister's words many years ago, that spirit world warriors are always meant to be alone. So here's that theme of loneliness coming back in again. Because um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, the theme of loneliness in the show is not just something that's felt with Mirai and Akihito. It's felt with a lot of these characters. And Mitsuki, is another, I think, is another prime example of this. Um, with that episode that, that becomes very prominent. And, um... Monica just portrays it very well during that episode. That sense of loneliness and the desire to have friendship, the desire to understand, despite being the youngest and being left out of everything. Like she'll just throw herself into any situation. She does not give a she does not give a damn. Like a, a couple points when um she and Hiromi are trying to confront something together, and Hiromi's like, "You need to go home." She's like, "Okay." Is that was something you were think you think I was gonna say? <laughs> like I love that those interactions between the two, and um, she also has very fun and interesting dynamics with, um, obviously with Hiromi, uh, her older brother, uh, but she also has fun dynamics with Akihito. She also has an interesting dynamic with Mirai too, and it I th it's a very strong performance. So despite 
this, despite Mitsuki being a character that, let's face it, this is something that Monica is very used to playing. Mm-hmm. Mitsuki herself is com- is more than complex enough to make it something different than what Monica's used to portraying. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed Monica's Mitsuki. Oh, definitely. This is um, I like that at least out of the four main actors that at the time of the recording of this show, um, I wasn't I wouldn't be as familiar with. Um, uh, Hiromi, Akihiro, and Mirai's actresses, actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. Having Monica there as a presence that is familiar to people who may not be as familiar with Sentai performances yes. is a very strong choice. And I'm very happy that they did not actually make her Mirai. Because yeah. there's Mirai would have been another really easy choice to actually slot Monica into. Mm-hmm. In fact, any of the female characters in this show, Monica would have been an easy fit for. Yeah, she, she would, would have. have she would have knocked played out of the park, any. Honestly. She would have knocked any of these characters out of the park. Like, yeah. Regardless of who played them. However, I feel like Mitsuki especially was the right choice for Monica, especially for somebody who has played endless amounts of teenage girls that uh, a lot of times are usually Monica tends to usually be the butt of all the jokes I've noticed and of like getting teased or being like that person it when she's the high school girl she's kind of always like the the really ditzy one to me for me the fact that Mitsuki was kind of the instigator in a lot of the comedy of the show (laughs) And she says some pretty outlandish shit. Yes. <laughs> like, she is, no offense, Mitsuki is a very mean-spirited person at times. But Akihito, I thought your goal was to confess your feelings to me by the time we graduated. Or like, she's like, no, this guy is just a pervert with a sick fetish for glasses and he's gonna do horrible, awful things to you. And She's a very mean-spirited she is. person at she's, she's She's mean. Yet, I feel like out of the uh, especially in the OVA, this is one thing I'm going to point out, is that something obviously, that OVA changes her. Because she is very, uh, I feel like her naivete and innocence is very, very much on display in that OVA yes. when she, uh, I think also being that OVA, she also, uh, <laughs> there's also this this wonderful, this wonderful like moment where she tells Hiromi that she's no longer his cute little sister or something, and he, like, fucking loses his mind and, like, trips the ball. <laughs> and he, like, trips some acid for a second. Yup. But, uh, that OVA, seeing the aftermath of what Akihito did to her brother, very much, I think, instills something in her. Mm. And I think that's where uh, Izumi kind of gets her, her, her hooks into uh, her sister about being alone. And obviously for, for, uh, a lot of characters in the show, it's a lot about breaking that cycle of being alone. Right. And connecting with other people. And for her, it's making friends with others. Because you see kind of at one point, um, these two girls go, wow, that must be the Nase Manor on the hill. And she's like, yep, you would be right. And she kind of doesn't have any friends mm-hmm. outside of Akihito, who... Uh, kind of at the beginning of the show, at least, you see less as a friendship and more as 
she feels that she it is her duty to watch over him, obviously, because he's a half Yomu and all that shit. Yada, right. Yada. Uh, and to me, Monica very much gets that sense of accidental isolation out and mm-hmm. the naivete that comes with believing everything your older sibling says to you because they are your older sibling. And uh, also, be I've noticed uh, the, the Nase siblings' parent very much absent from this world. Yes. Um. Izumi's obviously the head of it. Um, though their grandfather exists in some crystalline chamber under the ground and is played by John Swayze. By and the for way. what reason he's oh. in there, we have no idea. No idea. He's just there. Just, just let Grandpa, let Grandpa get high on his crystals, okay? <laughs> let Grandpa Swayze get high on his crystals. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, ah uh, yes. This, this crystal lets me see the dragon in the kitchen. <laughs> Shit. And this one tells me the dinosaurs died due to an incredible night of passion. <laughs> we played Cards Against Humanity last night as a group. Just, just throwing that out there. I almost won too. I was, it was gonna be a- Jamal came and Jamal came and cockwalked you. And this crystal, oh, this crystal tells me that Andrew really has a fetish for Dio from Love Live Sunshine. <laughs> Fucking hell! Uh, welcome back to the tasteless joke at Andrew's expense. Um, <laughs> let Grandpa get high in his crystal garden 2018. <laughs> God damn it. Um, no, but just, there's so many, it, it is also really hard a lot of times for me to describe, like, why I like Monica Rial in, like, certain high school teenager roles, and why sometimes I'm like, eh, it's another Monica role, and this thankfully was on the side that wasn't that, like, kind of hesitated, like, shrugging aside, like, like I, I actually really do enjoy Monica Royale performances, and there's a there's a couple of shows coming out. Uh, okay, I just want to say this: I watched The Place Further Than the Universe. I've mentioned this weekend. I would very much like to see Monica Royale in that show as one of the older female characters. Um, getting to hear her potentially play Gin, uh, Gin from The Place Further Than the Universe is something that potentially intrigues me. Um, but I, I just love this performance and. I really want to talk about her comedic performance against another character. So, are you ready to move on so we can talk about the comedic bounce off with Hiromi? My favorite character. <laughs> Hiromi Nase is My favorite. The elder, <laughs> the middle of the Nase siblings. He is into, he has a sister complex. Surprise! Kicks ass with a, sur- kicks ass with a scarf. It might be gay for Akihito. Um, <laughs> that's the o- that's the OTP right there. <laughs> Hiromi x Akihito. Sorry, Mirai. Um, oh, what am I kidding? I ship Mirai Akihito too. Um, I do too. <laughs> Hiromi Nase is played by Adam Gibbs. Adam Gibbs, you will know as Tachi Mashima and Hichai Death. Tachi Mashima and Chihaya Faru, Sugawara Koshi and Haikyuu, and Yuki Sanada in Suritama. Floor is yours because we know you love Adam Gibbs. <laughs> oh God! Um, when I first watched the show, in, and in the dub, this was a few years ago, and this was around the time where I was marathoning a bunch of shit for the first W Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this, there was Hamatora. Uh, I think there was a couple other things, but at the time, the only other time I had heard Adam Gibbs was in Parasite and only for like three episodes. Um, 
So you can imagine my <laughs> how I felt when I watched Hiromi and just fell in love with the character. <laughs> um, because Adam Gibbs is an amazing actor, and um, going back and seeing this again today, uh, with Hiromi, again, it's this, it's this whole, like, it's this whole personality and experience situation with these three siblings. In terms of Hiromi. He he does have he does have this more he has a bit of a mature voice to him. However, he's mature for the sake of being mature. If that makes he's sense. He's acting mature it, when he's not really. Yes. <laughs> um cuz the OVA shows him as a very very mature character and then by the end of it cuz we see the first time he's just like putting his hands under like, and under Aki's armpits, just, like, for the first time, and it's like, oh boy, here we go. Um, because between the OVA and, I think, the series, he kind of loosens up a little bit. And, um, while he does still act mature for the sake of it, uh, and probably for the sake of appearances, too, he, he also is kept out of a loop for the very, very important stuff. <laughs> and it eats away at him. Especially the stuff with uh, Izumi, his older sister. Mm-hmm. But how Adam, there's a lot of tr- there's a lot of sides that Hiromi has here. Um, Adam, here's how I I see I saw Adam portray Hiromi. He's sassy. He can be a cunning trickster. He he has a very smooth tone to him that's coming off as mature and can be calming at times. But He's also very much a troll, <laughs> to an extent. Not to the same extent as, as his little sister Mitsuki. Mm-hmm. Mostly towards Akihito. <laughs> Mostly towards Akihito. Um, but Adam also has a very good sense of comedic timing, especially with the moments where Hiromi does, like, where we see his sister complex on full display when. Um, <laughs> episode 6 is also a thing as well cuz that's cuz he has a moment in there after he gets dragged into the mess um where he's the first person while they're all in the showers trying to get this stinky yomu off of them or he's just like I'm not giving up in the name of the Nase family he's the first one to go at it and that was yep. that was beautiful <laughs> no like Hiromi is such a little goober like he he he's you are my sunshine. <laughs> my only sunshine. <laughs> That's all I imagine Steph singing whenever Hiromi's on scene. He's hilarious. Make me happy. And he, he looks <laughs> damn good. And Hiromi looks damn good in a scarf. And this is coming from someone who loves wearing scarves too. Uh, oh boy. Which is why I want to cosplay and do a gender bent cosplay for Hiromi. Steph. What? Girl. Did I just dig myself a hole without intending it? Girl, you're, uh... I hope you have flood insurance for that apartment. <laughs> I just dug a hole for myself, didn't I? More like started a, uh... Uh... In-ground pool. <laughs> Great! Well, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> you wanna know what I just thought of immediately when I said that? Do I want to know? And well, it involves Adam Gibbs in a tin at a stairwell. 
You mean the hallway. It was a stairwell. It was the hallway. It was a stairwell. <laughs> it was a fucking hallway. A stairwell. Why are we arguing about the logistics he of Devil's Line? He jacked off in a stairwell. Why are we arguing about the logistics of Devil's Line right because now? Because I'm fucking right. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Please imagine Anzai in a scarf now. Well, he, the Anzai did wear a scarf. <laughs> That was really adorable. <laughs> so, uh, so, gentlemen, so gentlemen, uh, if you are the lucky gentleman to one day uh, get Lilac to become your wife, oh my god, <laughs> don't start, and, please. Uh, you want to engage with her in some? Uh, no. <laughs> Bouncy wow wow. No. May I suggest that you tie her to the bed no! with scarves? Oh my god, I fucking hate you right now. Why are, why are we doing this to me again? D-D-S-M. The S stands for scarf. The fuck off. <laughs> Would you like me to talk about Hiromi now? Can I just summarize my thoughts like two seconds though? Bottom sure, line. go ahead, scarf fucker. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Bottom line. There's a lot of complex pieces to Hiromi as a character. And I and Adam just portrays all of them very, very well, and hence why Hiromi is my favorite character of all things. Um, though Akihito is probably a close second. Akihito is my son. <laughs> we'll Akihito. talk about him next. It's okay. Anyway, no, I, I completely agree about Hiromi. And I think, actually, when I had started watching the dub for the first time, back when I, I bought the series, when I did, mm -hmm. that was the first time I'd ever heard Adam Gibbs in any... Really? It is huh. Adam, right? It is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, she sometimes can't tell Adam and Scott apart. I get them confused! I'm sorry! <laughs> yes, it's Adam. I know they're two completely different people. I understand that. But sometimes... My brain's just like Gibbs. It's like, who the fuck is Kyle? Which, it's which, which fucking Gibbs is it? Wait, wait. It wasn't you. It was Gigi, though, who thought they were brothers, right? Yeah, no, they're not. They're not. It was Gigi who thought that. And she got so surprised when I had to break the news to her that they're not which related. Which Gibbs is it? It's, I don't know. It's Adam. Oh, it's Adam. This is Adam. <laughs> yeah, this one's Adam. I should, I should know, because one of them plays an angry flying fish and the other one plays the ultimate soccer the ultimate volleyball I mean mom. you should probably be able to tell the difference between the tones of voices but okay. I can tell the difference between the tones of voices it's when I'm actually talking about them sometimes my brain disconnects <laughs> your brain needs to reconnect my brain is like okay you know how like in my hero when Kaminari uses his electric powers too oh, much oh you go derp Kaminari <laughs> yeah I'm I'm Kaminari you're derp Kaminari right now there, I retweeted it, Kyle. Kyle has a, a, a couple of new prints, and one of them is, like, I think it's just the Derpy Kaminari. Oh, God. Yeah, it's just the Derpy Kaminari giving the thumbs up, and it says Kaminari is my homeboy. That and I want amazing. that on a t-shirt. Like, I want that on a t-shirt. That's I will buy you. I will buy a 3X t-shirt from you, Kyle Phillips, of that. But, no, God, I love... This was actually, like I said, back on topic... The first, this is the first time for me that I ever really got to hear Adam Gibbs. 
and I was really, really intrigued by it, and I, I loved it. And rewatching the series for the first time after I've watched a lot of stuff with Adam Gibbs in it now, like there's obviously Redacted that's airing with Funimation, and obviously he was the lead in another Kyoto animation show, uh, Hyoka. That was him, right? Yeah. Okay, he, cool. He's in Hyoka. Uh, yeah, I, I had to sh shut up. This is it's one of his first one of his first animation roles. Yeah, I know. Of course I would uh, fucking remember that. Dig a hole, dig a hole. Shut the fuck dig up. Dig a hole and use the scarf to climb out. Oh my god. <laughs> this episode is going so wrong. This episode brought to you by Yarn Brand Yarn. Yarn, it makes scarves. It gets you scarf-faced. What's worse is I have yarn in my apartment. <laughs> Because <laughs> I because I've done so you I haven't done crocheting you can in a while. Knit yourself, you can knit yourself some handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate you. They'll be nice and plush. No! <laughs> Get the fuck out! Stop Never! it! Stop Never! it! Stop it! Never! And this here's the highlight the for the fucking highlight reel. Oh god! This is why we're like sometimes some days. Some days I am your Hiromi, and you know that. Some days. But n I think, like, 90% of the time, I'm the Hiromi. You're the Akihito. Oh, yeah, I'm far more eccentric and open with what I'm into than you are. Yep. Um, but no, like, for me, I completely- Okay. Because I have not watched the show in almost five years. Uh -oh. Four or five years. I totally forgot about Hiromi being- having the sister complex. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I forgot, too, so, if that makes you feel better. Adam Gibbs- And here's the thing, too. I haven't watched a lot of comedic Adam Gibbs stuff outside of his character in Haikyuu. Mm. So him, which obviously was recorded after this. So him nailing all of the like little sister shit is the best. Uh, and one of my actual favorite ones is uh, when you learn what his ringtone is. <laughs> and it's just Monica going, big brother. And my favorite thing is like, uh, like after you hear her do like that cute, innocent big brother voice. Is her immediately with like the most deadpan change your ringtone? How'd you know? <laughs> How'd you know? And he tries to play it off like so I like that the one thing that Adam really gets across when he's being comedic Hiromi is how nonchalant he is about being yeah. a fucking pervert. He's like, very he is nonchalant. So nonchalant, like he's Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> he's our Hiromi. Andrew is just Hiromi without a sister fetish. Oh my He's god. Just... Tell me I'm wrong. Wow, okay. Tell me I'm wrong. It, it makes I'm not. You're not. I know it. That's the best part is you're not. Andrew is our Hiromi. Oh god. Like, like Andrew is Hiromi. And there's like, like, legitimately, like, as the Akihito of Dub Talk, we act like Hiromi and Akihito between the two of us. Yes. You would actually probably be our meat, our meat because you make fun of me all the time. It's true, but considering like, and I've said this before, that like Andrew is my unbiological twin because <laughs> we are basically the same person. It makes sense that you two would be Mitsuki and our Hiromi. But just there's the other thing too that I, I also genuinely love about Adam Gibbs as Hiromi, and you can actually see this a lot in his other dramatic roles. Mm -hmm is he has such a good sense of timing and inflection. Absolutely. 
with drama. Yep. Because there are there are sometimes where even I like things in dramatic performances, but you can tell maybe they peak a little bit too early into their performance, or they got a little bit too hammy, mm-hmm. where the show the show called for it, but they were just like an eensy bincy bit too much. Adam Gibbs has this unnatural ability almost to get drama and deadpan across. But there's this the sense of also that he gets, especially coming off of I, I'm on the host of this fucking episode and I forgot her goddamn name. Uh, Izumi. Yes. And there's this, this sense that at one point in the show he has to finally cut the ties of being this naive in his his own sense naive and innocent towards always following Izumi and wanting to be like her. Yeah. And having to become his own man. Right. And take up, and eventually we'll learn, take up becoming the head of the Nase family. And despite, and he keeps his weird thing about a sister complex and stuff there too, but the other thing I really want to talk about is Izumi and, uh, not Izumi, Hiromi in the OVA episode, mm. where he is very much this, he's very much his sister in the OVA. Yes. Where he is isolated, cold, and does not see the value in the life of Yomu. And just the, also be, um, him getting absolutely fucked up in the OVA. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing is too, and the OVA is actually uh, where I believe he actually breaks the cycle of being alone for the first time. Yeah, I think he's is, I think uh, he's among the first because you you don't see it in the series. You in the series, if you just watch the series, it feels like Hiromi doesn't follow that theme and that trend, but when you get to the OVA, which takes which place is a prequel. Be- yeah, it's a prequel, which takes place at least a few years before the actual show, you do get that. And you get it towards the very end where um, Akihito and him are sitting kind of at this train station talking to each other. And and he said, I think, and he gets it uh, actually uh, in combination, not only from opening himself up and attaching himself to Akihito, mm-hmm. but from uh, Mitsuki's words being like, Yomu come in all shape and sizes because she has the little Yakumo, uh, critter yep. creature. Yakumo, her little critter creature. Yep. Um, and Adam really, really gets that. And I think he actually kind of carries that sense of what Hiromi did in the OVA through the actual anime. Mm-hmm. So I do suggest that if you watch Beyond the Boundary, that you start with the prequel OVA. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then move into the series proper. Yeah, because I, I started with the OVA too. Yeah, this time around, because when I tried to uh, watch the dub originally, the OVA wasn't legally available. Yeah, but it is since it is legally available on High Dive, it, you really, you really should as a good as a good indicator of parts of the uh, parts of the story that are that are relevant into the series itself. It's a good place to start. Uh, so, are we good to move on? Yeah. So. Next up, I know I have it switched for you, but I I would like to talk about Akihito last, actually. Okay, that's fine. Um, we're gonna talk about Mirai Kuriyama. Mirai Kuriyama is the uh one of the the kind of the deuteragonist. I think it's deuteragonist. Deuteragonist. 
of the show. She is a girl from a clan that has been hunted down who has the ability to manipulate her blood uh, into a sword as well. It also has other things like I believe they actually go over like all the shit that it does. Like it's also poisonous and can erode things mm -hmm. like erode eternal organs. Like Mirai's blood is pretty fucking metal. Yep. So, uh, but over the, the course of the show, she believes that she has no value in life and that she is of a cursed clan and destined to be alone. And over the course of the series, she becomes, uh, and she's actually sent to kill Akihito um, via Izumi's manipulations. Yes. Uh, however, she becomes quickly attached and fault. She becomes attached and eventually falls in love with Akihito and becomes unable to actually kill him. So when they learn that the beyond beyond the boundary, that the thing that's in the show is actually housed inside Akihito and is what makes him immortal, she decides to uh, of her own, not of her own will, but as of Izumi's manipulations, um, take the take the creature into herself. And eventually her and Akihito do defeat it. However, at the end of the series, uh, however, in defeating it, she uh, shatters apart and disappears for a little while and then reappears at the very end of the series. And then obviously the movie expands on uh, what happens after that. But we are talking about the anime and not the movie. So Mirai Kuriyama in the series is played by Crystal Laporte. Crystal Laporte, you'll also know as Kohina Hiro uh, Hiroko in Black Bullet. Misa in Log Horizon, and Shiori Asagiri in Tamako Market. Aside from Caitlin's Sakura that took a little bit of time for me to get into for a performance, the other the other person that took me a little bit was actually Crystal. Uh, because if you and if you've seen the dub, you know why. Crystal gives Madai a very, very squeaky high-pitched voice. Like, even, like, further beyond what Monica Real is normally capable of. And there are points where if you're not, if you don't understand the character of Mirai itself, there are points where you might find it obnoxious. And early on, it kind of is obnoxious. However... Given the kind of character Mirai is and her personality, because if we look at Mirai's personality, she is sh a shy, closed off kind of person who she's not necessarily a hermit. Very, I guess introvert is the big word we're looking for here. There it is. She's very introverted as a character. So she has a lot of shyness and quietness to her. And then again, she's also raised to believe that she is a monster, and she herself believes she's a murderer for a little while. Yeah, but given a lot of the personality traits that Mirai has, Crystal is still able to portray all those facets very well. And it's, it's a fun performance, because despite some of probably most people's early impressions and even my early impressions when I watched it up for the first time of it being very obnoxious you grew into it because she's she Krista was very capable of and able to portray not just Midai's personality but her inner turmoil with herself through that kind of voice and the voice is very dis like going back to what we were saying earlier her voice if anything is the most distinctive out of the main four 
it's not just a quiet, shy girl kind of tone too. She has her moments where she is legit a spaz. <laughs> like, legitimately. This is mostly the comedic moments that this occurs, where, um, just to give an example, uh, Aki Ihido asks a question, and she's just start freaking out, like, cleaning her glass, like, no, 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 I don't know what you, I don't know, I didn't do anything like that, and he just knows she's obviously, like, hiding something. Yeah. Those moments. Um, those are a lot of fun. She, like, she has a, gr she also, Crystal has a great sense of comedic timing as well, um, with a lot of the more, uh, the best way I can describe it for Madai is spastic moments, really. Um, and she, she, among all the other characters, have has really fun dynamics with uh, these characters as well. Uh, like, she has, a, 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 obviously, the big one, her dynamic with Akihito when we get to him is very phenomenal, and I loved it. She also has a great dynamic with Monica's Mitsuki. She has, she doesn't have, the dynamic between Mirai and Hiromi isn't really there. There isn't much of a, rela a relationship or friendship there, as far as I could tell, um, compared to her friendship with Mitsuki. Um, and then there's, there's her dynamic with um, Carly uh, as Izumi. That's a very interesting dynamic as well mm -hmm. to kind of counterbalance, like, the happy, happy friendship times. But, um, yeah, I really, it, though it though it did take a little bit to get reacquainted to this performance, um, despite it having a falsetto high-pitched sound, the fact that she can still portray all of Mirai's different facets of her personality as well as her inner conflict and her inner turmoil with herself uh, I think it's absolutely amazing because that probably requires a lot of vocal control to her and I just have to give her her props to that but yeah I, I do I do love Crystal Laporte as mid-eye oh definitely um, I'll also agree that it, it did take me a little while to get used to Crystal as Mirai. And for me, whenever Mirai wasn't getting overly stimulated is when she was at her best for me. Mm -hmm. um, this is in no way a bad performance at all. Right. Like, nitpicks that I have aside, like, sometimes it does get a little bit, like, too anime girl pitchy. And sometimes it's kind of the fault of the show that makes her a little bit stereotypical, like, high-pitched anime girl. Right. But when the show decides to calm down and get into the emotionally heavy stuff that Mirai is going through, Crystal just brings it to life. Mm -hmm. Like, there is such a sensitivity and fear in her voice that Mirai has over herself. And that being said, when Mirai... The, okay, when Akihiro is in his coma... And then Mirai in his world admits to being a dream. Yes. And it's almost like Crystal's playing somebody playing Mirai. And she's like, I thought this would be a lot easier in my in your dreams than it is, but I guess it isn't. Mm -hmm. God, I wanted to fucking cry. Yeah, I, I like, started she crying too. that stuff. Like, God, like, mm, mm, It hurt. Bitch. It really hurt. Like, Fuck, man. Because I feel like we've all been there. Like, yeah, it was and so it was relatable. Just like, 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 it was so good. And then when she herself is in Beyond the Boundary, mm -hmm. 
and she's carrying around the puppet Akihito yeah. that she's made. And she's just like, Senpai, you're, you need to move. And she's just like, like kind of like the little sounds that she's making as she's like pushing and pulling this puppet around. It's just like, fuck me. Mm-hmm. And just... Mm. It hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Crystal makes it hurt really in like the way that you want it to hurt. Yes. Like you you need to have these moments be full of some crazy emotions and stuff. And while it does sometimes kind of get anime girl falsetto-y, it's such a good performance. And at the time, this is a breakout performance for her. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, since then, she's been in other stuff, but this was kind of, like, a big breakout performance for her as Mirai. And, like I said when I was talking about Monica being, uh, uh, Mitsuki, Monica could have easily played Mirai Koriyama. Yes. But I'm happy that she did. Because there is something about the way that Crystal plays Mirai as opposed to Mirai Seiyu, who, again, I'm also super, like, like I, I was super attached to. Uh, and Mirai Seiyu actually sings the opening to the show. Uh, Chihori, uh, Chihori Mi- Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I want to get this, this actress's name correct, because, uh, if I'm right, she sings the, she does sing the opening. Also, B, uh, we are, we aren't gonna say this right now. Uh, by the way, if you skip the ending for Beyond the Boundary, you're an you're idiot. More, you're an idiot. That ending is Daisy so good. Daisy by Stereo Dry Foundation is fucking amazing. It's such a good song. Oh no, I'm sorry. She does not. She does not sing the opening. The opening is sung by a woman named. Uh... Oh no, it's not her who sings the opening. It's um, Mitsuki's actress. Aha. Minori Shihara sings the opening. Uh, but no, I want to talk about how. Uh, Crystal plays her different a lot uh, a lot more different than her seiyu Risa Tanada plays her, mm-hmm. uh, which is really funny. Is if uh, you don't know who Risa Tanada is, you would know her as uh, Kaori from Your Lie in April, uh, Ira Irina from Food Wars, and I'm trying to find another one that uh, might be a little bit more that people would know. Um, Ira, she's also. Um, Oh wait, she did not come back and reprise Irina though for this season. Whoopsies. Um, she's also uh, if you watch DXD in the Japanese, she is Zenovia, but she's mostly Kaori in the fir- the arena for the first two seasons of uh, Food Wars. But she Crystal plays her very differently than um, what I remember Risa Tanada playing her. No, that's not the document that I want. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a a word doc with a friend of mine that me and her write stories on, so uh, I accidentally clicked on one of the two stories. Whoops. Whoopsies. But no, uh, that's all I really have to say about uh, Mirai. Are we good to- Mirai and Crystal, are you good to move on? Move on to your favorite boy? Let's move on to not only my favorite boy, but probably who I think is the best performance in the show. I mean, I actually may not fight you on that, though... Obviously, that's because my favorite is Hiromi, but Ak- Akihito's up there. I, I mean, I'm taking out my, like, like of the character. I, like, I'm gonna, I, I will fight that this is probably actually one of the best performances this particular actor has ever given. That I can absolutely agree with. So, Akihito Kambara is essentially the other protagonist of Beyond the Boundary, and he is also 
the person who carries the titular beyond the boundary inside of him, the immortal half Yomu, who essentially uh, in the OVA lived by himself being tracked down uh, by essentially spirit world warriors who kept trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you also learn through uh, at least the movie and through some flashbacks, uh, he essentially became lonely because other people would see, other children would see him get hurt and walk it off and they'd think he's a monster. And his mother uh, essentially kind of became more and more absent from his life. However, uh, at the start of the series, he essentially uh, thinks Mirai is going to kill herself and says, please don't kill yourself. You are a bespectacled beauty and you look really hot in glasses. He has a glasses fetish. He has a glasses fetish. Uh, But as the series goes along, you realize he is actually uh, more than just his fetish, as well as being the person to pull Mirai out of loneliness, Mm -hmm. not only for her sake, but for his sake as well, as he does eventually fall in love with Mirai Kuriyama. Um, Anyway, Akihito Kanbara is played by Clint Bickham. Uh, well, I would think, actually, we've talked about Clint Bickham more as a writer on this show. It's very rare. We have an actor. It's so rare we actually talk about him as an actor. Acting. And I think this I is think one of the, the very... This is one of the... I think this is like the second time we have. Maybe. And this is one of the very, very few times that we see him in a lead role. No, I think this is actually only the second time. As an actor. No, but I'm also saying like this is one of the very, very few times that yeah, we've seen that him in Lee Roll. Yeah, no, but I'm saying in like the course of dub talk as a, as itself, the only time I actively think actually talked about it as him as an actor was from my Yeah, I think so actually. There might have been maybe maybe there was one more time before that, but if there was, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh so Clint Bickham, you'll know as Mo- uh, Mochizuke in ha- in another Ken Makozume in Haikyuu, and Prince Nataku in all of Sayuki. All of it. Sayuki, Sayuki Reload, and Sayuki Reload Blast. Huzzah. So, do you want to start off with this? I'm also going to preference this with this now. Bar none. Best Clint Bickham performance ever. Oh, I'm going to agree with you on that. Like, 100%? Because, like... Because, like, like I was just saying a second ago... I have, as far as I'm aware of, I don't even think he's ever actually been a lead role before this or even since. I don't think that has happened like before this show and since this show has, that has been done, which is very very sad to me, because <laughs> because he's very capable of carrying a lead character like this and it's and it's great. Um, so Akihito is a very interesting case and. I think the best way I can describe Clint's performance as Akihito is his, is with his interactions as with Adam's Hiromi. So, because <laughs> that's the best way I can describe it because those two are complete opposites in terms of personality. Where Hiromi has his mature, calming personality that likes to be a cunning, sneaky little little shit. Akihito has more high energy to him and will just full out go fanboy mode with when it comes to glasses and shit. And he also, Akihito also has a lot of heart to him. He has a lot of sincerity to him. And 
those are all facets that Clint brings out of Akihito, and I just fall in love with it. Because <laughs> um, uh, he's he's very capable of bringing those, those bits of emotion and personality out of Akihito, but he's also very good at portraying Akihito's loneliness while Akihito himself has his walls up. Because Akihito, to me, he doesn't show his loneliness. Like, he has this wall up. He'll say, like, he's, he tells Midai early on that he's the same as her. Mm -hmm. And yet, you don't feel that way as well. He doesn't, like, outwardly show it because he's trying to break this. He's, he's gotten good at hiding it, for one. But then eventually he'll break that cycle on his own. Um, I think he kind of, I think he ends up breaking it probably, um, around, like, in the latter third of the series, around that beyond, uh, around the Beyond the Boundary incident, where he come, where after Mirai disappears, he comes to terms that he was, he was able to let his wall down, and now he can't, he doesn't want to go back to this feeling of loneliness now that Mirai is gone. So he does everything he can in his power to try and get her back. Um, so a lot of there's a lot of facets of Akihito's character. I think, in terms of complexity with characters, Akihito and Mirai are probably the two most complex out of the entire show, bar none, mm -hmm. um, because they're very similar in their own like core complexities in their stories. Um, but uh, in terms of Akihito, he has a lot more energy to him, and. <laughs> Clint, you can tell, has a lot of fun with this. Um, and then the other, the other big thing. Ooh, sweet baby Jesus. Can we talk about Yomu Akihito for a sec? Oh, God, yes. Fuck. Oh, my Holy God. shit. Like, I'm sorry. What was it you... Aki, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this out right now. Yeah. Yomu Akihito is my strike zone. Like, things that shows do like that and, like, the design of how they did that. Oh like, boy. Mm, those <laughs> things. It's like Lancer in his titty shirt for me. <laughs> you seen Lancer from Fate Stay Night in his like skin tight white titty Ooh. shirt? The man has a the man has man titty. <laughs> like, mm, mm. no, but the reason why I'm bringing up half Yom Yomu Akihito in this. Oh, the screaming. Yeah. Like, what was it you were saying earlier that... That, oh. Oh, that, like, when Akihito screams, like, I, I swear to God, I was like, you sure this isn't Bryce Pappenbrook? If anything, I think he puts Bryce Pappenbrook to shame, man. Yeah, like, I was like, oh, damn shit, man. <laughs> like, well, that's not true because Bryce Pappenbrook's Attack on Titan screaming in season two is really it is, but <laughs> this came before that. This came before that. So all things considered, but um, when when Clint has to portray Yomu Akihito, oh, oh my god, oh my god, it's you can tell he's in so much pain. You can feel the pain that this the Yomu half Yomu half is feeling. You can feel the fear that he feels. Like, even if it's just in a bunch of screaming, like that entire thing, you can feel, you can still feel all these different kinds of emotions from the Yomu half, Yomu half of Akihito. And 
having and seeing Clint portray that, it's like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> like, Clint has was given an opportunity with this lead char character, potentially his first lead character. Of course, I need to research more. But if this is the case and this is his first lead character, he is given the opportunity to show so much range and it's terrifying and it's amazing <laughs> like there again there's a lot of facets to Akihito as a character both with well with like his human half with his personality and high energy with his inner turmoil with his battle for over his loneliness and then there's his yomu, yomu half where he has to be this fearful yet terrifying monster and every second that clint was on screen portraying akihito was downright phenomenal and makes me go why the fuck has clint not been another lead role why like i'm mad about it because i think he's because i don't recall him being a lead character after this show I want to see it happen again, guys. I don't think I have either. I, we obviously, like, we um, could be wrong, but if but if we're not, someone's gonna correct us in the comments. Like you guys are dumb. Yeah, like if we are wrong, then awesome. I need to go watch that show right the fuck now. But if I am not wrong, and this is the only time we've heard Clint Pickham as a lead, why the fuck hasn't he been a lead in anything else? I'm very sad. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, we all know that I love Adam Gibbs as a voice actor, but give the man a break for lead roles and give something to Clint, please. <laughs> Stop like, it! <laughs> Jesus effing Christ. Um, God, this is such a good performance. And I had, as somebody who hadn't watched the show in like three or four, like I think I said like four or five years. Mm. Oh my God. Like, it was, if, if you didn't know any better, like, you would have thought that was Bryce Papenbrook at times. Yeah. Like, if, if you're not somebody who doesn't know. That being said, there was such... There was such an emotional levity to this performance. Yeah. That, despite any time Akihito is smiling or anything, he just... You can hear that he's trying to force himself through it sometimes. Yes. And just, like... Please don't, because I, I need to see the movie. I'm going to say this, though. If you think this, it, like, as... Obviously, we're not talking about the movie. If you think the performance in the show is good, holy shit. Um, just the performance in the future movie is just, like... Boy! Like, this performance is beautiful. There are so many layers to it. And... I want to say that being a scriptwriter, um, obviously I can't tell if Clint was writing scripts back when this was recorded. Unfortunately, I imagine he um, was, because because beyond the I beyond the boundary like, was 2015, right? I want to say it came probably the dub probably came out in like 2014, 2015. It was 2015. We we we've okay. been over this. <laughs> it came oh, out in October of 2015. Oh, 2015. All right, that's right. We went over it this morning. Um, being a scriptwriter, I think, helped 
Clint in this situation, being an adaptive script writer. He obviously did not write the adaptive script for this. Yeah. But there were just things about that performance where the narration, I feel like, for some people at times would probably come off as very monotone, but it's not because you're supposed to be hearing Akihito relate this in kind of this cold, distant way at first, where it's like, there are two types, like, the, the stories in this world line. And if I, wasn't, if I was in my right mind, I would have been the guy who was passive and left myself to isolation. Mm-hmm. But instead, he, uh, he kind of throws himself into being around Mirai and eventually falls in love with her. And just... There's... There's such a weird intimacy to his performance that... You, you don't really expect from a show like this or from a character like mm. this who is very open about his perversions. Yes. <laughs> and he is very comedic at times. But there is a sense of just humanity to him that Clint just gets across. Mm-hmm. And you're almost... It, it, it's so spellbinding, especially when you're watching the last three episodes of this show. Yeah. Or the last episode, the last arc of the show with uh, the Beyond the Boundary. Specifically, uh, I think it's Gray World, White, uh, Black World, White World, and Gray World Mm -hmm. are the last three episodes. And just the the emotionality and the arc of it, uh, and to me, the highlight moment for that is when they they've kind of killed all these these yomu around and this big fist comes up and he meets it and he's like my yes i felt everything oh like the you could feel him punching and all of the things that he's talking about that he's gonna hide because he loves mirai essentially and he doesn't want her to have to take on those burdens and then they wake up surrounded by all of the, the kids mm-hmm. and the people who kind of have the darkness in their hearts. And he's just like, Mirai, close your eyes. And he takes her hand. And the speech he gives there, too. And it's just Clint nails everything. Mm-hmm. And like I said about Adam, uh, knowing how to inflect his voice and time the drama. Yes. That 100% applies to Clint. And I feel like if I had finished the show, I I think I gave Clint the W that year. You might have. And if and if I had if I didn't, I feel like a moron because it deserved it. And then I think potentially I might have given Adam one for um Hiromi along the way. Hiromi. So are we ready to to kind of move into final thoughts and wrap this up since this isn't like as long as it is? Yeah, but side note, because I was looking into Clint a little bit more. So before people correct us. He has had another lead role since Beyond the Boundary. Which is... Unfortunately, it's chivalry of a failed knight. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. So I've actually heard a lot of people like that show, so... I've heard a lot of people like that show, too, but I've also heard it's complete garbage, so... 50-50. 50-50. Depends on your preference. But yeah, before people go in and correct us... <laughs> yeah, so he's... Okay, so, like, two? That's two shows. That's, that's not that's a lot. two at the very least. I didn't... I, I briefly looked over. There might be another one, but at the very least, there's another prominent one for him. 
So, uh, final thoughts. So, like I said at the beginning, this is probably, to me, this is one of the best English doves that Sentai Filmworks has ever produced, bar none. And it's just, and it is strong works, but there are lots of reasons for that. The the direction is very solid with a very diverse cast and phenomenal performances on all fronts, despite some minor issues here and there. The writing, to me, seems very faithful, but isn't afraid to have small moments of looseness to it uh, with the comedic moments. And performances are so, so full of heart, sincerity, and emotion, emotional weight to them that the characters become very, very complex to me. In a show where, in a span of 12 episodes, it could, like, in a span of 12, let's face it, a good amount of one-core shows that are in, like, the 11 to 13 episode range, it's going to be hit or miss in terms of how well you develop your characters. Not only does the show develop the characters very well, but I feel like the dub elevates those characteristics and personalities a lot more. To the point where you can, you can relate to characters, to the point where you will cry about characters, and you just get attached to these people. So I think, mm -hmm. overall, the dub is spectacular. It is very much worth your time. I need to go watch the movie now. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. That's all I gotta say. It's 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 definitely one of the best that I've ever seen Sentai produce. Ever. Strong words, I know, but that's how I Here feel. Here comes all the people, like, defending Monster Musume. <laughs> I don't think many people will defend Monster Musume to an extent. Because, like- Here come the Queen Saga defenders, boys! <laughs> this is not ghost stories. What is your problem? Ghost Stories was ADV, not Sentai. Fuck off. Um, Still, my I mean, to to an extent, ADV eventually evolved into Sentai. To Sentai. An extent, so. I know, we do a panel about this. So. <laughs> this is a series I have a lot of sentimental attachment to. Um, I am... So let's do story time with Megan. This is a series I'm actually really intimately connected to. Um, if you don't know, back in the day I used to be an AMV editor. And... One of my actually, like, most... I have two AMVs that I have uh, a lot of pride in. Well, three. Um, they've all they've all netted me awards, but particularly... I almost won Best in Show with my AMV for Beyond the Boundary. And I actually made a, con a guy who now runs a con in Florida cry his eyes out and go watch the show. So this is a series I know on a level that's beyond writing. Where I know cuts, mouth movements, like crazy shit for the show. Stephanie is 100% right in saying this is the best dub Sentai has probably ever produced. And they have not gotten super close to it since. Maybe Nozaki-kun is the only other one that gets close. Nozaki is pretty but close. But that's because that's a comedy and this is not. Yes. And they're two different animals. There is a level of care and detail put into this dub that I don't think that Sentai needs to put back into a lot of their stuff. I enjoy a lot of Sentai stuff. Mm -hmm. I really do. 
I, I have Sentai products on my shelf. I'm super looking forward to things like Princess Principle, Made in Abyss, uh, ha uh, Hitori Jime, My Hero. Um, what else did they confirm was getting a dub? I have no idea. There's Seven Heavenly Virtues, which, by the way, we're getting the band back together for that. Um, oh, God. I'm putting myself through hell again for your amusement, people. Also, be it's a series of shorts, so it won't hurt me as much. Um, and then I obviously have things on my shelf, like The Life of Midori Gusuko, which they also put together. Um, Kids on the Slope I have on there, but I haven't heard super good things about that dub. Um, thanks, Stephen Foster. <laughs> we. Uh, that was the saddest we. <laughs> Stephen Foster. We. <laughs> put me in Grandpa, Grandpa Nanas. Grandpa Nase's Crystal Garden so I can get high and forget about Stephen Foster. Oh my god. <laughs> Gag me with Hiromi's scarf. God damn it. Uh, Steph wishes she was. Stop it! Never! God, I hate you. I love you. you suck. But, don't you, don't you, don't potty mouth. Remember, Jesus is made with about as much weed as $20 can get you. Anyway, but I I loved rewatching this and sitting and going through this again with this dub fully. And it is beautiful and funny and charming and just it reminded me how much I enjoyed this as a show. And why I I said in the Hyoka episode it was my favorite Kyoto animation show, which which, unfortunately, Hyoka is just a little bit better as a show to me. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a solid number two. If we're all asking what my number three Kyoto animation show is... Uh... Get in the pool? <laughs> get in the it's, fucking guys, pool! It's, it's Get in the fucking pool. It's free, guys. Like, it's free. I mean, surprise, surprise. Um, don't be surprised by this. I, I sincerely hope that... Chris Ayers is on the men. Mm -hmm. I genuinely do. Yeah. Because when that, as a director, when Christopher Ayers is on his A game, he produces some of the most beautiful work there can mm -hmm. be. And as a director, if I had to pick one show that he he did the direction on a dub for, I would show you Beyond the Boundary in a heartbeat. Because it is that well put together as a dub. And if you want to watch Beyond the Boundary. Huzzah! Segway! You can head on over to High Dive. High Dive is Sentai's Filmworks. Section 23. Made in, uh, made in Japan. All of that fun stuff. Their streaming service. They also do now on occasion dubcasts. We, as of the time of this recording. We do not know their summer dubcasts. However if you uh, watched uh, our episode on Devil's Line. They had that as a dubcast. As well as Doreku. Uh, but in terms of the Beyond the Boundary franchise, you can watch the entire series, the OVA, and both films, uh, past and future. Um, which I believe the titles are Beyond the Boundary, I'll Be There. Yes. Uh, Mir Mirai Hen and... Oh, I forgot what past is. I know Mirai Hen is future because Mirai is the word for future in, J in Japanese. And I believe High Dive costs $4.99 a month. Yes, I believe that is the case. Yeah. High Dive is $4.99 a month. Uh, if I'm correct, though, I wanna, I'm going to check it really super quick. 
yeah, to um, give you another heads up as well, another way to own, another way to see Beyond the Boundaries if you own it, uh, the series is out on, uh, both on Blu-ray and DVD, uh, if the DVD version is not out of print, since Sentai has been weeding out, um, releasing DVDs. But you can buy it on Blu-ray, however, if you are interested in just the subtitled version, you can still watch that on Crunchyroll. Mm-hmm. However, the OVA is not on Crunchyroll, nor are the movies. The only way you can watch the OVA is on High Dive. Do not go looking on Crunchyroll for the films or the OVA. Yep, and as for the films, I know we did not cover them, um, but the films were released together uh, in a Blu-ray set last year, so that is still available as well. Yes, they are a singular set. You do not need to buy both movies separately. They will come on one set. Um, and actually, the Blu-ray, the specifically just the Blu-ray disc, actually holds both films. Really? So one disc has both films? Yes, one disc has both films. Interesting. And then the DVD, I think, is each film's on each DVD. Huh. Um, that being said, if you would like to follow us at the Dub Talk Podcast, you can follow us here at Dub Talk Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Twitch, TV. Uh, we also have a Kofi. If you'd like to donate to our production to help us get an RSS feed, if it's not been set up by the point of this recording, uh, and help us maintain that as well as other costs that go into production, or if you just like us enough that you want to give us money. Give us a tip and support us. Give us a tip. Give us a tip and support us. But yeah, you can donate. uh, Buy us a coffee. Buy us a coffee. Do it, guys. Buy us a a coffee, or in our case... Whenever you buy, donate to the Dub Talk coffee account, I know it says uh, somebody's bought us coffee instead, you can buy us goats. <laughs> <laughs> we can have an office full of goats. Someone said... Even though we don't have an someone office. Someone said earlier today, when we... Because um, today, as of recording the episode, this is the fir- we officially launched the coffee account. Um, someone was like... That'll be very tricky. You'll need like, like you'll need like twelve straws for that. I'm like, we'll have to have a large coffee as well to make this work. <laughs> Here's the good thing: I don't need a straw because I actually hate coffee. <laughs> good, more for me. <laughs> Do you want to know how Megan gets up and runs about her day? I actually use Mountain Dew as coffee. I'm about to say you, you don't run off of a natural high. <laughs> just Mountain Dew. Nope. Uh, nope. I just use Mountain Dew. Yay. Uh, so. If you would like to follow Stephanie, Stephanie, whore yourself out and use that scarf to ride. I am so like, gonna kill you. No, you're not. Not until you not until we're in Texas, bitch. Oh, god damn. Um So if you're interested in anything that I do, the best way to follow me and my daily shenanigans and bullshit uh, is through my Twitter at Lilac Anime Review with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E because I don't have much else. I don't have much else going on in my life outside of work and the podcast and stuff. But I am going to Anime Fest in August, so there's a plus side. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Queen Era 2. I shitpost on a daily basis and flirt with my boyfriend. (laughs) Um, Not really. We flirt, we flirt and DM. Thank you. Uh, but you can also hang out with me, uh, with myself, uh, Andrew, and Hardy over at the Funimation Discord. Um, and just general, like I said, just follow us at Dub Talk Podcast if you're interested. So with that, Steph, we are we are good. We have come across the boundary. We have finished the filler episode of the year for us. Congratulations. We did it. We did it, we fam. We did it, fam. When nobody else wanted us to. <laughs> I don't even know what we want to do next year for the filler episode. Because you you said I could host the next 
the ones we did. Yeah, you get to pick the next years. year, because I, I picked last year, and I picked this year, so you get to pick the next two years. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know. It's Lilac's choice. Lilac's choice for, like, two fucking years. Hooray! Or, or, unless, we, or unless we get bored and do two episodes in one year, I mean. I mean, we could do another filler episode this year. I'm not a fucking opposed. I'm not to opposed that. to it either. I just don't know what. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about it later. I mean, I was gonna suggest I was gonna suggest one, but then I promised uh, Roots, you, Roots, and Hardy that they could be on that episode with oh, us. Which so. one was that? Laughing under the clouds. That's right. Oh, uh, that's an episode I'm hosting, despite never having watched. No. Hooray! <laughs> not like I haven't done that several times before. Hmm. I was gonna say, uh, you can cut this out. You know it would be a fun filler episode for us to both do because I've never finished the what? show. And I know you wanted to go back and redo this show as an episode. Mm. Maria. Fuck you, right? You're right. Well, there might be there <laughs> might be some people who want to be part of it, though. That's the only downside. They can suck a dick. <laughs> they can suck your scarf. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyway, let's end this up. So, uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, guys. Otaku on, everybody. And make sure to always wash your scarf after sex. <laughs> good night. We're I done. have nothing to say, but <laughs> fucking stop. <laughs> Never! Otaku on in hell, my bitches. Such an asshole. I love I you. I love you, too. I'm not